You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's sports media mayhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and happy Thursday. Happy Thursday, indeed, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. My name, of course, is Alex Streamer, as you heard in our fantastic open. It is February 23rd of 2023. I believe this will be our last show in the month of February as we move towards March. Look at that. And as always, you can find the Sports Media Mayhem podcast wherever you can find your favorite shows. We are available for your downloading pleasure on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You know the drill by now. Download, listen, rate. And subscribe. It is much appreciated. I have a couple of media notes I want to get through here at the top of the show. Then we'll get to uh, my conversation with Sean McAdam, long-time Red Sox reporter, uh, currently working for the Boston Sports Journal. He's down there in Fort Myers. Uh, We talked about a tweet that Sean sent on the show last week about how at the start of Red Sox spring training, there were only five media organizations. uh, They're covering the thing. Uh, I think the breakdown was one TV station, four websites and newspapers. Uh, With spring training now in full swing, I think that number has increased a little bit, but not much. And uh, yeah, I talked to Sean, who's been covering the team for a long time, about the Red Sox apathy problem, John Henry's problem. Uh, Sean was one of two reporters, along with the Athletics' Jen McCaffrey, who uh, conducted an email Q&A with John Henry over the weekend. So I'm going to ask Sean a little bit about that as well. So Sean McAdam coming up in a few moments You don't want to miss that. Um, But first, let's go with the big national media story of the week. This is traditionally viewed as kind of a downtime in the sports calendar. So it's NBA All-Star Game, NHL All-Star Game, and the ratings are in for the NBA All-Star Game, which took place Sunday night. And uh, yeah, not very impressive at all. 4.6 million viewers on TNT and TBS, making it easily the least watched NBA All-Star Game on record. Um, these numbers were down 27% from 2022. So just last year, which by the way, also went up against the Winter Olympics. And the prior low was 5.9 million viewers in 2021. So obviously the NBA All-Star Game, like all All-Star Games, on a downward trajectory in terms of viewers. Um, And, you know, there's been a lot of talk this week about how can the NBA All-Star Game be fixed Does it need a Pro Bowl-type revamp? The NFL this year, of course, did not play a traditional Pro Bowl. They played a flag football-type tournament, and the ratings were all right. uh, 3.4 rating nationally, 6.28 million viewers across ABC and ESPN. Uh, Still down a little bit, down 5% in the ratings and 6% in viewership from last year's traditional Pro Bowl, but that's not bad, especially for a flag football competition. Um... So I would say Pro Bowl ratings held steady this year, despite the 
change in format. And again, the question is, can the NBA All-Star, can the NBA do anything to make its All-Star game more appealing, to bring people back to watching it? And, you know, sure, they can tweak it, more skills competitions, maybe that'll generate some more buzz. I mean, this game, both teams are in the 90s at halftime. I mean, it's a glorified practice, not entertaining to watch in the least. But the fact of the matter is, all-star games in the NBA and across all sports are so irrelevant now in the year 2023. And that's been increasingly the case for years, as we see all these players now on national broadcasts seemingly every night of the week. We have, you know, the NBA League Pass, Major League Baseball has the Extra Innings Pass, NFL Sunday Ticket, Red Zone Channel, etc. So seeing these players, these stars compete against each other is not nearly as special as it was even 20 years ago because there's just so much so much more content out there, so many more games, social media, videos, podcasts, all of these stars are in our faces 24/7. And that's really what it comes down to. You know, uh, so yeah, the NBA can tweak the All-Star game. Maybe they go into more of a skills type competition. But it's not going to come anywhere close to what it once was because, A, as we've discussed, ad nauseum on the show, ratings for live events are down across the board, except, of course, for the NFL. So linear TV is on a steep decline, and all-star games are a part of that steep decline. And also, as I said, it's just not a special event anymore. We see these stars all the time. I mean, great, LeBron James facing off against Jason Tatum. You know, Kevin Durant facing off, you know, Giannis and Kevin Durant, you know, on this on the same court. And I know Durant is hurt this year, but you catch my drift, right? I mean, it's just it's just not special anymore. There's there's nothing cool about it. We see these stars all the time. We see these stars interact with each other all the time. There's so much player movement across the league now as well. Free agency, another wild trade deadline in the NBA. Both Durant and Kyrie Irving got moved. I mean, so it's just it's not, it's not, it's not the same. It'll never be the same. I mean, I guess the leagues will continue to hold these all-star games, these all-star weekends, because they are money-making endeavors. They do generate, I think, some sort of revenue for the host city. It's a good showcase for the team, but it's not going back to the way it was, and it's never going to. So I think we should stop talking about this so much because uh, it's just, it's a futile conversation. There's so much player movement. We see these stars all the time. The games suck anyway. There's just nothing special about them. So during this past NFL season, I spent some time on the show, I want to say in the early fall, October, talking about the Mac Jones smear campaign that was happening. Jones, of course, missed a couple of weeks with a high ankle sprain. In his absence, the Patriots played rookie Bailey Zappi at quarterback who led them to thrilling victories over the Detroit Lions and Cleveland Browns. And the question now is, as we stand at the start of the NFL offseason... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Are we already seeing the signs of a continued smear campaign against Mac Jones? Again, I go back to last October when Jones was out with his high ankle sprain. Multiple NFL insiders were floating vague and unflattering reports about Jones's attitude and relationship with Bill Belichick. Sports, Illustrated, Sports Illustrated's Albert Breer said Jones's relationship with the Patriots had, quote, gone a little sideways. Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio said there were, quote, uncharacteristic rumblings surrounding the relationship between Jones and the Patriots. Now, it's worth noting that when Florio was pressed on that anecdote, uncharacteristic rumblings surrounding the relationship between Jones and the Patriots, when he was pressed on that in an appearance on the Greg Hill Show on WEEI, he demurred and said that it wasn't a report, even though that seems like exactly what it was. So that was strange right off the bat. Um, And Jones, of course, added fuel to the fire, histrionic on-field behavior, blowing up at Matt Patricia on the sideline, seething when the Patriots would mismanage the play clock in crucial spots. I keep going back to that game against the Raiders. We all remember the ill-fated lateral at the end, but I mean, Jones was blowing up on the goal line there, and the Patriots wasted a couple of timeouts in the first half. And last month in January, we had Chris Sims, who, remember, did spend one season on the Patriots staff as a quality control coach. Uh, He said Mac Jones sought counsel from friends and mentors around the league and told them how unhappy he was with his situation in New England. uh, Florio piggybacked on Sims' report. He said Belichick was aware of Jones' grumbling and made it known it wasn't thrilled. And it is telling that Belichick at his end-of-season press conference did not commit to Mac Jones. He only acknowledged that Jones, who he picked number 15 overall in the 2021 draft, has, quote, the ability to play quarterback in this league. Well, I'd hope so, Bill, because again, you took him number 15 overall just two years ago. So yeah, I would hope that Mac Jones, in your estimation, has the ability to play quarterback in this league. Um, But you know, during the season, we saw reports that Joe Judge, who was quarterback's coach, preferred Zappi over Jones. We've seen video over the last week of Bailey Zappi working out with wideout Tyquan Thornton, while Jones apparently hasn't been in the building in Foxborough. Um, In the past, Tom Curran, Patriots insider for NBC Sports Boston, frequent WEI contributor, has theorized that some of the anti-Mac sentiment came from Judge and Patricia, who certainly saw their reputations take a beating last season. So the question is, will we see this continue this offseason? And if so, what does it mean? Well, we kind of already are. Albert Breer, in a radio appearance last week, said the Patriots, he thinks, would be open to trading Mac Jones and that internally they don't see a big gap between Jones and Bailey Zappi. Now, I know a lot of people dunk on Breer and say he's just making stuff up, throwing stuff out there. Look, I don't think that necessarily what he says or any insider says on a radio appearance should be taken as gospel, especially when it's thrown out with caveats such as I think. But generally speaking, someone like Breer is not throwing stuff out there without it being sourced at all. He's not just speaking extemporaneously. I don't think that's what these guys do. He's hearing that from somewhere. It's probably not concrete, but the word that the Patriots may be willing to listen on Mac Jones, do not see a huge gap between Jones and Zappi. 
I think that is out there, and that's why Breer is parroting those points. Uh, and Tom Curran, on his podcast for NBC Sports Boston, was again just kind of musing, but he said that Zappi's favorable contract could give him an edge over Mac Jones. I mean, Bailey Zappi is under contract through 2025. All of his cap hits are lower than $1.3 million, so he's dirt cheap. Mac Jones, meanwhile, will command around $30 million per season on his next deal. And, you know, will the Patriots want to do that? I mean, Daniel Jones is looking for $45 million per season. So, you know, I think we're already seeing some of the anti-Mac sentiment continue. I think people like Curran, Breer, etc. are just not throwing out things without it being sourced at all or backed up by anything they're hearing at all. And this is what the Patriots do. I mean, they have run smear campaigns. There has been a lot of palace intrigue over the last few seasons. And what we hear about Mac Jones over the ensuing weeks, ensuing months, I think will go a long way towards telling us what his status is in the organization going forward. Because remember, prior to last training camp, we heard nothing but glowing reviews about Mac Jones, not just from Bill Belichick himself, talking about the great shape that he's in and the tremendous strides he's made, but also, again, from NFL insiders who told us that the Patriots were thrilled with Jones's progress. They love his dedication. We heard a myriad of those reports last year, last spring, into the summer. If we hear the direct opposite this season, the Patriots are maybe not sold on Jones, could be listening on Mac Jones, Bill Belichick frustrated that with Mac Jones's performance and his antics and going behind his back and complaining to friends and mentors around the league. That stuff is coming from somewhere, and that somewhere is people slash are people who have a motivation to smear Mac Jones. So maybe we won't see any movement with Mac Jones's offseason. I mean, if I were a betting man, I would say no. He will be the Patriots starting quarterback in September of this year. But what we hear about Mac Jones will go a long way towards telling us what the environment is and what his reputation is right now around the Patriots. And so far, the offseason is still in its infancy stages, but uh, it doesn't seem like the Mac Jones smear campaign has stopped. We're still hearing those rumblings. And again, those rumblings, you have to believe, are coming from somewhere. So that, of course, is a story to watch. NFL free agency, March 15th, so less than a month away. I mean, nothing rules the world like the NFL, does it not? And by the way, it's only a matter of time before the Super Bowl is played over President's Day weekend. It just fits so well. I mean, it's a dead time in the sports calendar, as I said at the top. And yeah, you have the NBA All-Star Game, the Daytona 500, but the NFL, in the Super Bowl in particular, trumps all. This probably won't happen for several more years. But remember, how long were they talking about moving from 16 games to 17 games? I think that will coincide with an 18-game schedule. And just get ready for it. It's coming because the more games you put out there, the more product you put out there, the more money that there is. And the NFL is always looking to expand. They're not content. So that's what's going to happen. And there's been discussion about having the Monday after the Super Bowl as a federal holiday, which I just think is a ridiculous idea. I mean, let's make Election Day 
a universal holiday first. Then we can go to the day after the Super Bowl so everybody can nurse off their hangovers. I mean, do these people go out at all? I mean, the Super Bowl ends by like 9.30. I mean, so you can be boozing all day, but but you're done by 9.30. I mean, do you really need that long to recover? Is the party really going that late on a Sunday night in early February? No, it's not. So no, I do not think we need a holiday after the Super Bowl. But if we want one, President's Day is a federal holiday. So there you go. I'm telling you, it's coming. It's only a matter of time before the Super Bowl is played on President's Day weekend. But there was a time in this town, not too, too long ago, in which President's Day weekend and February were ruled not by the NFL, but by the Red Sox, spring training. Well, that's no longer the case. There is a real apathy problem surrounding the team. And coming up on the other side, I talked to a longtime friend of mine, Sean McAdam. He used to come on my Red Sox podcast, Without a Curse, that I hosted as a teenager. And now, wow, I'm 30 and we're still together. He's joining me here on the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. That's coming up on the other side. Thanks for listening. And... Welcome back to the show. As I was saying in the open, Sean McAdam from the Boston Sports Journal. Sean, how are you? It's been a while. It has been a while, Alex. Nice to join you. How are you? I am doing well. Um, So let's just get into it right off the top here. You were one of two reporters along Jen McCaffrey of The Athletic who had an email interview with John Henry. Uh, First, let me ask, how did did that come about? How did that get set up? Yeah, there was um, uh, an email from... um, uh, Zineb Curran, who is sort of the corporate PR person for the Red Sox, who sort of acts on behalf of up, excuse me, upper management and ownership, uh, saying that you know John will be in town next week, but is not expected to um, you know take any questions from the media. However, if you'd like some questions answered via email, I'd be happy to pass them along to John, and then could. Uh, get his answers back to you. So uh, that day I sent maybe, I don't know, seven or eight questions along and then uh, got the email response early Sunday evening and transcribed them and got them up on uh, BSJ's site and off we went. When you're email interviews, I mean, I don't really like them. I think that they lead to a lot of canned answers. Um, But you know, when you're drafting like seven or eight email questions, John Henry, there's obviously so much you want to ask him, but in an email, as you know, and his first two answers were one word answers. No, which I would have been like, Oh my God. I I opened the email and saw those. (laughs) And I said, please tell me that these are not, uh, this is not uh, a preview of coming attractions and that each one of the questions was going to get a one word response. Although I suppose it's better than getting a two-word response in some cases. I, I, I guess, yeah. Um, so how do you but, how do you draft questions in a thing? Like how do you yeah how do you do that? Yeah, I, I mean, I tried to think. You know, uh, I, I agree with you. The format is not perfect. It's far from perfect. In fact, uh, it does not allow for follow-ups. It does not allow for right. clarification. Um, but you know, at that point, given that. Uh, John has not made himself available for almost three years in a press conference setting. You kind of take what you can get. Um, you, you don't have much choice. It's either deal with these parameters or not get any response at all. So I tried to think, you know, if you were sitting across from me, what would I be asking? 
And, you know, most of them were sort of centered around direction of the team, uh, philosophy on spending. Um, you know, I'm not asking, uh, obviously, I'm not going to ask the principal owner what he thinks of, you know, the, the battle at second base or uh, to break down the bullpen. You're, you're talking big picture items, spending, payroll, a, a philosophical approach, labor, uh, state of the business, state of the franchise. So I tried to hit, you know, a bunch of those different bases and get his response. And, you know, as I said, I think the formatting uh, results in it, it's clear that John does not is not comfortable on camera uh, and in those press conference settings. I think he fears that if he says the wrong thing, it lives on in infamy as a soundbite forever. And he clearly um, wants to craft his answers with some uh, with some precision and time and the ability to maybe go back and change them if he uh, decides to restate his answers. And, you know, as I said, that's his prerogative and you either accept those rules or, or not. So I chose to take whatever yeah. access I was offered and, you know, it, it was somewhat limited uh, in terms of its value, but there were some things that he said I thought were, were interesting. So you take what you can get. Yeah. Um, and so was the last time that he actually held a more traditional press conference was it after they traded Mookie and he read yep. that Sam usual poem? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That was uh, here the yeah. day after the Mookie bets trade where uh, all the principals, Tom, John and Sam Kennedy were up taking answers and uh, Heim too. And um, you know, maybe the reaction he got from that was enough to uh, have him swear off any uh, additional press conference yeah interactions in the future maybe at some point he'll get back to them but um you know we, we've been told and it's obvious from his actions that he's not comfortable in that setting and uh you know i wish it were otherwise but can't change that yeah i was gonna ask i mean like john henry obviously has oh not always been the most has not been the most comfortable in front of the camera or microphones i mean he had that interview with 98.5 i think after the 2011 the season barging into the studio and certainly that was you know, but that was like a two hour sit down. Um, it's just it's just funny how it just suddenly seems like quite a change. I mean, he was never available like Robert Kraft is available, for example. But, you know, he always was more mm -hmm. visible. I know they have more responsibilities with Liverpool now, the Penguins. But, yeah, like, I, I, I always wonder where was that like line of demarcation? Where he's like, yeah, I, 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 I don't I don't think he is doing himself or his organization. Yeah. Um, you know, much good in the way of PR by handling it this way. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's not for me to tell him how to, you know, he's a billionaire several times over. He seems to be doing pretty well for himself. So I don't think he needs any input or advice for me. But um, I, I've often thought that I, you know, I do find it somewhat strange. And look, this ownership has made some giant missteps. Uh, the, the refusal to, uh, uh, to, you know, try to extend Xander Bogarts a year ago when it probably could have been done, I thought was puzzling. Um, some of the uh, instability in terms of the front office, firing Dave Dombrowski less than a year after a World Series championship, I find puzzling. Right. <laughs> Excuse me. I certainly am not suggesting that this ownership group has been without fault. But 
um, they have won four championships in 21 or so years. And uh, you, and yet if you were to, you know, if, if you were to take somebody from outer space and drop them into Boston right. and have them listen to the fan engagement toward the organization, right. you would think that they have finished under 500 for, you know, 10 right. of the last 12 years. Right. I understand they've had five last place finishes and they have to own that and they have to, uh, they have to speak to it about what they yeah. did to lead to that. But I still think they're standing in the market should be a lot better than it is. And I can't help but think that part of that is John's detachment, where right. where I think fans incorrectly think he's an absentee owner. I, I don't think that's accurate. I think he's around a lot. I think he cares. Right. But right. because you don't make yourself available, because right. you don't put yourself out there, right. people are people draw the wrong inferences. So Right. No, I, I, I totally agree. And I think what really helped the Red Sox, you know, back – a decade plus ago was how visible Larry Lucchino was. And, you know, Sam Kennedy is now in that role and right. he's very available, but you know, Larry, he really spoke with, um, it seemed like he was a guy you cut him and he really bled out, you know? Right. And I yep. think that people resonate with that. So. Yeah. And, and I, as I said, I, I, I think they, he has hurt his own cause and, uh, and sort of behaved in a way for people to, um, have some misconceptions about him and and the way he handles things and the way he runs the team, but you know those are also that those are also uh, because he's chosen to do that. So it's hard to feel too sorry for him because they've chosen this path. And I think by getting out in front more and being more accessible, not just to media, although selfishly we would like that as well. I just think you know being on the field before games and and you know, instead of watching from his box and, and, you know, having this sort of uh, mysterious, you know, oh, there's the owner, but, you know, you can't get to him. Uh, I, I don't think that's helped. No. Um, you tweeted last week that there were five media outlets covering the start of spring training. Got a lot of attention. Are there more than five there now? Yeah, there are. And, you know, I, I probably should have waited a day or two before taking roll call. I wasn't I wasn't trying to shame anybody who wasn't here. Um, that was not my intent. But, uh, Alex, I know that you remember, you know, 15 years ago that spring training from a media standpoint was a big deal. You you know, and and the point and, and it was you're not going to believe this, Alex. Some people misunderstood a tweet. I think that's the no, first that's, time. That's never happened. No, no believe me. I, I know it's rare, but I think it happened to me. Um, <laughs> obviously, what I was saying was the the uh, the thinning out of the media herd down here is reflective of fan interest back home, right? Right. You yes. see the Patriots having. Uh, practices with the Las Vegas Raiders in the middle of August. Right. And there were many more people in Nevada than there are here. And obviously the Patriots have had greater and more uh, sustained success than the Red Sox have over the last, you know, they've got their three Super Bowls in the last however many years it, it's been. And the Red Sox have, you know, one championship since two thirds. 2013 mixed in with some last place finishes. So a certain amount of drop off is to be expected, 
but it's a dramatic drop off, not just in terms of people here covering them, but also the amount of fans who pay to come down here and attend spring training games and this week attend workouts and watch practices. I can remember at the height of Red Sox mania, which I would identify as kind of 2003 to maybe 2008 or nine, you know, they had so many people here that they had auxiliary parking and buses bringing people from auxiliary lots and ringed around batting cages. You could have 10 people deep and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of fans here. And I'm here to tell you that that is not even close to being the case anymore. So the, the point I was making, and some people like, oh, media whining about, no, it wasn't that. I, the point was that there are far, far fewer outlets covering Red Sox spring training than even a decade ago, and that right. that is not a good sign for the Red Sox as it represents a commensurate fall off in fan interest back home. People well, can't get enough Patriots content, so outlets pay to go to Nevada in the middle of August to watch right. practices for five days because people eat the coverage up. That's no longer the case as much uh, about the Red Sox, and that was the point I was trying to make. Yeah, and it's it's absolutely right, and you're right. A tweet's never been misinterpreted before, so apologies. You had to go through that. Um, <laughs> but, but um, you know, I do wonder, though, and I've written about this in the past, like obviously the Red Sox and the lack of Media coverage fans, you know, they're responsible for a lot of that, their performance, John Henry, et cetera. But I do think that some of that, too, just has to do with, like, the changing climate that we live in. You know, spring training was a huge deal, as you said, 15, 10 years ago. But, you know, that was a different time. Like, Pedro, Manny, these guys were huge stars. And they would disappear to Dominican. We wouldn't really hear from them for three months. And they'd come back with grievances about contracts, et cetera. Whereas now it's just much different. You know, we hear from these guys all the time. Spring training itself, I think, doesn't really fit into the 2023 news cycle. It's long, it's slow, it's boring, much doesn't happen. So I don't know. I I always wonder. I would say the same about, I would say the same about, you know, uh, controlled scrimmages against the Raiders in the middle of August. But, you know, that, but it depends on what you're, you know, what you're interested in. But I, I, I get your point and I don't disagree. Yeah. So I guess my last question for you would be, you've been on the beat for a long time now. Um, this is kind of a vague question, but what are, how do you do, what are some ways you do your job differently now? Forget about 20 years ago, but how about even like 10 years ago? Yeah. I, I mean, look, the, the, the biggest difference obviously is the 24 hour news cycle and social media. And you always have to kind of balance those two things out. You don't want to give away too much free, you know, particularly our business model with, at BSJ is a is a subscription driven site. Uh, we have a paywall, so we want to attract subscribers uh, by uh, the content we provide them. And you know, you, you have to balance that. How much do I say on Twitter and and give away for free when we're trying to attract subscribers who right. you know want to uh, come read our content every day and have access to to everything we have of all four Boston sports teams. Um, But it really is, uh, you know, I I think you have to, even in a smaller media universe here in Fort Myers, um, you know, you try to stay away from the pack and herd mentality. Every day, uh, Alex Cora, you know, is available uh, to the media. And, And obviously there's information and news nuggets that come out of that. But they also, as you know, 
you know, often in the first week or so have, um, you know, players available on the bench, you know, where it's a group setting and there's, you know, cameras ringed around them and however many reporters are here and it's a press conference setting. And, you know, unless something is, uh, is really newsworthy. I try not to rely on that because everybody has the ability to write the same quotes at the same time, and you want to do something to try to distinguish your coverage. So I, you know, I don't. I try not to get caught up in the um, a, a feature on a player who, by golly, is in the best shape of his career, and you know, and those sort of cliched spring training. Um, features that you can read a lot of places. And I try to, you know, come up with different angles or developments or themes and write that to offer, you know, a little bit uh, different content for people who, you know, have already read that player X is in the best shape of his career and poised for a real breakout season. You know, that, that um, that's kind of dime a dozen stuff. So you have to get creative and find some angles and find some topics and some themes to explore maybe bigger picture things that provide uh, some analysis and some opinion and some informed opinion about what's going on with the team without, you know, ladling out the same old, same old. But who is in the best shape of his life? I'm dying to know. (laughs) All of them. Would you, would you believe it? I can't believe it. Unbelievable. Sean, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Alex.